You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show, and for the first time since we've started, we have no college football to talk about, so we're going to get right back, or right into the basketball portion, uh, and what better place to start than Kansas, seemingly all but locking up yet another Big 12 regular season title as... Its main challengers, Baylor and West Virginia, have struggled and, and had some rough losses in the early going of conference play. It is absolutely astounding how, I, I don't want to say lucky because obviously Kansas is good, but to essentially assure yourself of a Big 12 title already is absolutely insane, especially when you've got Baylor and West Virginia both ranked in the top eight of the country right now, you know. West Virginia slips up at home to a bad Oklahoma team who really just has James Woodard. Is that it? That's his name, right? Jordan, but yeah. Jordan Woodard, that's his name, yeah. You always forget him. He was the second <laughs> fiddle second fiddle to Buddy Heald. You always forget the first name. Uh, but he he's a good shooter. I liked him a lot when he played last year. Obviously, he still has the scoring touch this year as he led him in scoring last night. And then Baylor got just dominated by West Virginia one day after getting the number one ranking. So it's, it is almost lucky that Kansas has had this uh, fortunate break. But then again, I mean, they're six and oh, they they're beating everyone on their schedule, except, <clears throat> except for their one slip up this season. Um, but I mean, conference play, it, I don't see them slowing down at this point. Yeah. And they've, they've certainly had some close calls. Um, very close conference opener on the road at a much-improved TCU team. Of course, beat Kansas State at home on a buzzer beater, in which uh, Spy took about four steps uh, before laying the ball up, uh, picked the ball up like behind the three-point line, didn't dribble it again. Um, and then, most recently, another close call at the Coliseum taking on Iowa State, but they've been beating everybody. They obviously haven't played Baylor or West Virginia yet, and at this point it doesn't look like any other team could possibly challenge Kansas because everybody else has at least three conference losses. But both West Virginia and Baylor, for as good as they are, have looked extremely beatable. Uh, you mentioned Baylor going down to West Virginia, turning the ball over 29 times against the Mountaineers' press, which is unheard of for for a major conference team let alone at the time the number one team in the country and then West Virginia has looked very susceptible losing to Texas Tech albeit a much better team under Chris Beard and then you said the head scratcher at home to Oklahoma it just seems like they have a lot of trouble generating offense when the press isn't doing it for them so I mean Kansas looks in great shape comparatively right now it's stunning because West Virginia is press Virginia. Everyone knows what Bob Huggins does, yet they still Baylor still turns the ball over 29 times. I, I'm a big fan of Texas Tech right now. I think they're playing really well and have the ability to beat everyone but Kansas, I would say, in the Big 12. Uh, they, they just seem to stick in close games. They play really good defense. Very rarely do you see teams score over 70 points, 72 points against them. Um, 
<clears throat> but yeah, it's it's Kansas's race to to lose, obviously, and I really don't see it happening when Baylor goes into a place where you know you're going to get trapped and you know you're going to get pressed and you know they're going to try and you know spread you out and force you into turnovers and and they do exactly that. And not only that, you think after ten turnovers, you know something would change, someone would realize something different. After fifteen, you know they'd really start to change. After 20, they'd really start, you know, it's it's mind-boggling that it just gets that high and, and nothing happens. Obviously, teams have off nights, but this is this is arguably as bad as they can come. And now, you, you know, you look at Baylor's schedule, they've got a Saturday road matchup against a very, very much improved TCU team that has played a lot of close games early this season with some good teams. Um, and, and, you know, home games... Home games slash road games for Baylor, that's going to be a tough, tough beat no matter who you're playing in the conference. Uh, I, I just don't see Kansas slipping up more than once. And even at that rate, they're going to at least share the Big 12 title. So congrats to Bill Self yet again. I don't know how you do it, but you do it. And yeah, it's incredible because you think about how improved the conference is this year. Um, Obviously, teams are churning out a higher product, but a lot of that has to do with bad teams keep hiring really good coaches. So last year, Texas got Shaka Smart. Then this past offseason, TCU got Jamie Dixon. That's been a fairly quick turnaround. And then Oklahoma State, although they still haven't won a conference game this year, they got Brad Underwood, who is a guy that Kansas State fans wanted for a while after his incredible stretch with Stephen F. Austin. So my question to you now, well, also Texas Tech getting Chris Beard after uh, a great uh, season last year at Arkansas Little Rock and after faking out UNLV with that job. So my question to you is, who is the worst coach in this conference? It's kind of, it's kind of a, a difficult one to, to figure out. It's very tough because, like you said, there is so much talent in terms of yeah, both the players and the coaches, I almost can't say Bruce Weber because he's got a Kansas State team at what fourteen and three, fourteen and four already, uh, and th- and it's not, you know, they weren't expected to be great. Obviously, they are returning a couple starters from last season. I, I think I got to go Bruce Weber, but it's a very, you know, very cautious <laughs> picking of Bruce just because it's a Kansas State's a good team this year. They're, I'm 100% certain they will be NCAA tournament bound, and they, they have the ability to win one, two games in the tournament. Yeah, that was, uh, that was my first instinct was Bruce Weber, but, I mean, he hasn't really done a that bad of a job at K-State. Um, know what he did at Illinois? I don't, I don't know. This, uh, I think the only other... I, I don't want to say Scott Drew this season, um, but I, I'd say most seasons where he doesn't have this veteran-laden of a roster, he's not going to do this well. But also, even thinking about Steve Prohm, uh, I that that was my State, other thought too, which seems kind of nuts to say, but yeah, that's a that's a thinker. A lot of a lot of coaching depth in that conference. 
I mean, there there's a legitimate argument that Lon Kruger could be the worst coach this year, but that also directly has to do with the fact that he lost, you know, one of the best players in the country last year. Oh yeah, I, w- I mean, I was totally just speaking generally, not taking. Oh yeah, not Absolutely. really saying like the quality of each guy's team this particular year. Um, Absolutely, but yeah. but yeah, I think I, at this point it's got to be. I think it's got to be Bruce, Bruce or Steve. One of those two, yeah. but even even so, I I would gladly take either of them at Seton Hall right now. <laughs> yeah, but we're we're exactly a third of the way through conference play, and it looks like Kansas already has it wrapped up, basically. Which every every year we kind of we kind of think. Somebody's come along. Though, to be fair, preseason didn't really look like anybody was going to be able to challenge them because Iowa State looked a little down. Um, West Virginia was kind of high teams, uh, low 20s ranked preseason. But, I mean, they didn't really impress me that much when I saw Kansas play Indiana. Obviously, the very first game of the season, hard to draw that big of conclusions, but they didn't really seem like they had a star player besides possibly Frank Mason. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really know if he was going to be dynamic to, you know, carry them the whole way, but Josh Jackson's improved. Landon Lucas has improved a lot down low. So they're just very solid all around team, which I feel like is just kind of a classic Bill Self squad. Yeah, it's uh, year in and year out. He seems to just find one or two guys that have made massive strides in the offseason and become key contributors either off the bench or plugged in in the starting lineup to play between 20 and 25 minutes where he lets you know his sixth man run through that lineup and, and spell each guy. But it's uh, like you said, it's, it's year in, year out. He's always got one or two, maybe even three, veteran guys mixed in with some of the young talent and they continuously dominate this conference. Yeah. It's, it's just so hard to win at Allen and then Kansas will just get enough road wins over the course of the season that, you know, they just outpace everybody. We, we go from a conference that has looked as good as the big 12 has this year to a conference that is, pretty much been but uh, top to bottom and at the top of the Big Ten currently tied we've got uh, your ACC sleeper pick the yep. Maryland Terrapins uh, go Terps you know, 17 and 2 though still kind of looking for a marquee victory I I looked at you know when we were prepping for the show I was looking through scores and, and up coming games and different things that I wanted to talk about. And I stumbled upon the Maryland game tonight against Iowa. We're obviously recording on Thursday. This will be released on Friday. And I almost spit out my drink because they were ranked. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is not a good Maryland team. Haven't they lost a few times already? To my chagrin, they've only lost twice. Although one of them was Nebraska, who's had a very strange season. And then they got blown out by Pittsburgh. But as you look deeper, you just see that there really aren't that many great wins. Obviously, you know, they have a win over a decent 
I'll say decent at best Georgetown team. Kansas State, who we've alluded to already, is pretty good this year. Oklahoma State's a pretty good win. And Indiana is their marquee win, who obviously your Hoosiers have been struggling a bit this year. They're for sure a tournament team. I, I don't have any doubt in that. But when you look at Maryland, I, I just don't see the talent there to be a top 25 team. I also don't see the talent there to really be in this position in the Big Ten outside of a fortuitous start to conference play with Indiana struggling right now and scheduling where they happen to be 4-1. and one. And really, they should be 5-0 and because oh, this team shouldn't have lost to Nebraska. Yeah, and all of those, I guess, kind of good non-conference wins that you alluded to were by one point. Yes. And the Indiana win was by three points. So it should come to no surprise. I just had to check to confirm because I had a sneaking suspicion they'd be pretty high up there. Their luck rating is 21st in the country. They have basically won every three close game they've played. On the other side of that coin, Indiana has lost every close game they've played, save for Kansas and the buzzer-beating win they shouldn't have needed over Penn State. Um, so... Maryland's a very young team. Didn't really return much outside of uh, Mello, who has had a, a pretty up-and-down collegiate career. A lot of his offensive game is dependent on drawing fouls, and he kind of hurts his potential likability by you know throwing his head back every chance he gets to get himself to the free-throw line. But he's had a lot of help from freshmen this year. Anthony Collins been just a lightning bolt in the backcourt, very quick. Kevin Herter on the wing. Um, and then DeMonte Dodd has been pretty improved down low. So all that being said, I don't see them really topping out more than like a, a six or seven seed at best because there's, there's just not enough talent there. And I don't know how long it'll be till we see that because really the only good teams they're going to face in the Big Ten are Wisconsin and Purdue. So they could be in a situation where they're only at, you know, six or seven losses come tournament time. But you can confidently say they're they're not seventeen and two good. Yeah, I uh I, when I picked them as the ACC sleeper this year, <laughs> there were obviously a lot of strange things going through my head. The the biggest thing was, you know, you get a veteran guard who has shown the ability to score and oh, I won't I won't say take over games, but really control them down the stretch with Melo Trimble. And he has pretty much been anything but this year. He's been horribly inconsistent, really more of a quantity shooter at this point. And like you said, he's been very fortunate to have freshmen help pick him up. Kevin Herter has been awesome all season, and uh, obviously without him, they would not, <laughs> they wouldn't be at this seventeen and two mark that they're at right now. But <clears throat> my whole thought process behind picking them was the fact that you know I like I like the veteran guards. I like the guys who have played three, four years, know the system, know you know, how to play the game, know the refs, know each build, you know, stupid things like that, where, you know, 
they're not intimidated on the road. They can take a young team and calm them down because they've been through it before. And I thought that's what Mellow Trimble was going to be, specifically with how weak their Big Ten schedule has turned out to be just because of, you know, luck. Like you said, they're they're one of the top teams in terms of games played and luck. And I would be willing to bet they, they will stay top 50 for the rest of the year. You know, it's seven to 10 range sounds about right. At this point, they would need a monumental collapse not to be in that range come March, but it's surprising to me that with how inconsistently Mellow Trimble's played that they've been able to win as many games as they have. Yeah, and I think you hit on a pretty good point there. It's stressing how important point guards are, especially in the college game, I would argue it's the most important position. If you have a good point guard you're typically going to be a good team. And on the opposite side of the coin, not to bring everything back to Indiana, but it's my natural tendency, when you don't have a point guard, you're going to struggle mightily. And that's the case with the Hoosiers this year. Um, So even with a a Mellow Trimble who is not performing at 100% of his potential, that's still a huge boost for Maryland, especially the way that the Big Ten has turned out to not be as good as we might have hoped or we've grown accustomed to over the last however many years. But that's that's basically the biggest reason that they're going to be basically in every game they play this year. They have a guy who's reliable most of the time. They can give the ball in late game situations, create something, not going to force a lot of things, not going to you know, let the moment get too big, not going to have a lot of silly turnovers. And I think if you have a player of Mellow Trimble's caliber or any of these other great point guards, like you mentioned with Kansas, Frank Mason, a big part of why they're as good as they are. Um, right. I mean, that's it's kind of why why Maryland is outperforming expectations to the degree that they have so far. Um even with him not playing as as well as he has in years past, which is kind of remarkable. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely strange. And I think that's the only word to use to describe the Big Ten so far. Because like you said, Maryland and Wisconsin are 4-1 and one at the top. Uh, I, I think most of us expected Wisconsin to be hovering around the top of the conference. Obviously, uh, when I picked them as my ACC sleeper, I expected Maryland to do something close to this. Uh, not to this level, though. But then you look at the the next three teams are Purdue, Northwestern, and Michigan State at 4-2. and two. And Northwestern is a team that's never made the NCAA tournament before. Michigan State's a team that we all thought was just dead in the water early in the season. Obviously, you know, it's it's too soon to call it a year with Tom Izzo at the helm and, and all that young talent, and especially the injuries that they had gone through so early. But Purdue, we know, is a good team. They've, they've got some good wins over Notre Dame and have played well. They, they played Nova very well at home. Northwestern is absolutely a shock. They have outperformed pretty much every expectation at this point. I don't expect them to keep this up much like Maryland. I think they'll finish middle of the Big Ten. And I think Northwestern is a tournament team at this point. And then Michigan State is such a, 
an up and down, you have no idea what's going to happen team. So I, I saw them play against Ohio State last weekend, I think it was. And they just looked so – it was so uncharacteristic, so out of sync on offense. I think, granted, Ohio State's a pretty good defensive team, but I'm pretty sure they had two shot clock violations in the last three minutes of the game, which was just mind-boggling for a Tom, or a Tom Izzo team. Yeah, they've struggled figuring out who their point guard is going to be this season. Um, they also looked, like you said, pretty – Pretty rough around the edges on offense in the loss to Penn State at the Palestra. Was their other big time loss this year? That game was played in the fifties. Um, but now every Big Ten team, now that Ohio State knocked off Nebraska on the road last night, every Big Ten team outside of Rutgers has between two and four wins. So it's an extremely close race. Uh, four and two. Michigan State is is a little surprising uh, given how their season has gone. Uh, Minnesota started off strong in the conference as well. Um, They've kind of fallen back to earth a little bit, partially because they've already lost twice to Michigan State. So, I mean, this this conference is basically wide open. Uh, I have a very hard time seeing anyone besides Wisconsin winning it, even with how wide open it is, just because Wisconsin – will rarely, if ever, beat themselves. So it's going to be very hard for a lot of these two- and three-loss teams to catch up to Wisconsin and, as we said, kind of expect Maryland to, to fall a little bit. But obviously a ton of basketball still to be played. So Yeah, plenty, and there are a lot of good matchups coming up. You know, some of these big teams have had very fortuitous starts to their schedule, and now they'll start hitting the road late January, early February. So. It's been, I don't think it's been as crazy as last year, where it seemed like every week number one was going down. But in terms of conference play, it's definitely been strange. Yeah, a ton of upsets right off the bat after what was largely a pretty, I would say pretty chalk non-conference season for the most part. Uh, There were really not too many upsets to the degree that there were in the first few conference games. Um, So, I mean, that certainly made it a ton more interesting. Um, But, I mean, we'll kind of see what happens. Like you said, Saturday, a lot more good matchups. If you want to get into those, you've got uh, ACC leaders via tie, Florida State, at home taking on Louisville. This is going to be a very interesting game off the charts, athleticism and defense. I would expect points to be fairly hard to come by in this one. Um, just knowing Louisville's tendencies and knowing um, how well Florida State can, can shut down good offensive teams, and Louisville's not even a good offensive team. So... Yeah. Who are you liking in this one? Uh, I'm a big home court advantage guy, especially in college basketball. And then after watching Florida State last night, really kind of take Notre Dame out of their rhythm, uh, especially on the defensive end, forcing turnovers. It's very rare to see a Notre Dame team in double-digit turnovers, let alone their starting point guard have six. 
So Matt Farrell had six last night. Vastoria had four, and that's already 10 right there for him. So, you know, you see that. And obviously, as we've said at least three or four times in the last few weeks, Florida State is one of, if not the most athletic and lengthy team in the country. It was on display last night. Jonathan Isaac was ridiculous. He had 23-10 and seven blocks, which is out of this world. Uh, Ratham Mays didn't even score that well, and they're still putting up 83 points. You got a guy like Dwayne Bacon, who I'm all about. And I, I just I find it hard, even with the talent on this Louisville team, that Florida State loses a home game. Uh, Mahmoud's playing well now that he's getting starters minutes, but I, I Snyder's too inconsistent scoring. Mitchell again, he's he's not a very efficient scorer. It's it it would have to be a very good night from the floor for Louisville to win this one, I think. Yeah, and Snyder. Honestly, probably isn't even going to play because he's still struggling with that hip flexor. And that would be a huge blow to their already struggling offense because they're leading returning score for the second year in a row. So that means almost all of the offensive burden is now going to fall on Donovan Mitchell's shoulders and maybe Dang Adele if he can handle it. But he's an incredibly streaky shooter, so it'll just depend if he's having a good night or not. So in that regard, I think that makes the task a little less daunting for Florida State. They're obviously still going to have to go up against that Louisville defense, which is still one of the best in the country, even without Snyder. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm thinking home court is going to be ultimately a big boost for the Seminoles. And I mean, even with their... uh, their loss on the road to North Carolina where they got absolutely manhandled, came back strong like you said, and posted a good win over a good Notre Dame team, and I think they'll they'll continue that against Louisville, pick up another W. The most important thing with this team is they just consistently find scoring <clears throat> no matter who they play or, you know, any situation. They they've consistently been above 80 points. They even scored 60 on Virginia on the on the road, which is incredible. You know, they they just find guys whether it's off the bench or yeah, off turnovers, they figure out a way to to put up points on the board and that's obviously the most important part of the game is to score. <laughs> they do it well, yep. especially uh based off their defense. So, I I really I just find it hard to uh, to see them losing to Louisville. Another big game on Saturday. This one in the Pac-12 going out west. Got Arizona just kind of climbed back up after a, a slowish start to the season. They're at five and zero in the conference. They're taking on UCLA, who's five and one, boasting the best offense in the country. Recent news that Alonzo Trier's indefinite suspension from Arizona is due to PED use. They would undoubtedly be a top 10 team with him in the lineup. Yes. Even without him, they're still a top 15 team, so they're still very, very good. Do you think they'll be able to, to pull off the upset in L.A.? Yeah, uh, I just don't think UCLA is good enough on the defensive end to stop 
Arizona. Obviously, Kobe Simmons and Raleigh Alkins have been incredibly streaky in terms of their production. But you look at a guy, you know, you look at, excuse me, you look at the rest of their lineup, Markinen, ridiculous. He consistently scores. He's a great rebounder. Uh, he can pretty much score from anywhere on the floor. Kadeem Allen has shown the ability to put up points, um, and and they also are a very athletic, lengthy team, much like Florida State in that regard. Now, I wouldn't say they're as good defensively. They're both very good, though. Um, and I, I, even with Lonzo Ball and TJ Leaf playing as well as they are, you're going to have to score a lot of points to beat Arizona when your defense is as bad as it is. Yeah, I think Markinen and TJ Leaf, should they draw each other, would be a great matchup. Uh, those are two of the best players in the country this year, and TJ Leaf somehow gets overlooked a little bit just because of all the talent he has surrounding him with Lonzo Ball, Bryce Alford at all. Um, but even with that said, Arizona plays – a very tight rotation. So if UCLA plays to its tendencies and that is a track meet, it's going to be up and down. And I'm, I'm not convinced that uh, Arizona is going to be able to, to keep up. Um, they're, they're certainly playing a lot better than they were at the beginning of the season. They struggled with uh, Michigan state dropped one. They probably shouldn't have, um, in Vegas to Butler, um, but it's UCLA is just clicking offensively right now. If they have a bad game offensively, they're still scoring 86 points. It's it's gotten to a to a ridiculous point where they just have so many weapons, and with Arizona still, you know, by their standards, relatively limited in terms of. Um, offensive options or just options in general, I think that'll be enough for, for UCLA to walk out of this one with the win. It's it's still crazy to me to say that if UCLA has a bad scoring night, they're still scoring 80-plus when two years ago, their own, pretty much their only scoring option was Bryce Alford. Yeah, and now he's like their third or fourth best player. Where he, where he belongs. Yeah. <laughs> Still, I think he's still their leading scorer. So just based on how many damn times he, sh- yeah, still leading scorer, over seventeen a game. But yeah, I mean he shoots a lot, and then again he has the second highest assist rate point guard in the country throwing him the ball. I would say definitely, definitely doesn't hurt. So we've got a, a big SEC matchup, which is not something that you'll hear often this year. Um, South Carolina taking on Kentucky. Um, Kentucky, of course, still undefeated in conference, as is South Carolina. Thornwell is back. Um, I mean, Frank Martin has done a great job turning this program around. I remember how puzzling it seemed at the time when he left Kansas State, which was in a great situation, wanted a new challenge, turning around South Carolina in what is definitely not a basketball conference or school. Um, and I mean, he's certainly done that. Gamecocks are ranked. They have a chance to uh, pull off a, a big win and bolster their SEC title hopes. 
um, over Kentucky. Yeah, this is, uh, I think this is the game that decides the conference. I don't see Kentucky losing twice if they don't lose this game. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, South Carolina is undefeated with Cinderius Thornwell in the lineup. They do have three losses this year, including one to the Hall. We needed it. But uh, I saw this team play live, and they are really good on defense. They're in the passing lanes. They're very active on the glass, and especially down low. It's going to be tough to get buckets inside. Bam Adebayo is probably one of the best-suited guys in the country to bang down low with their big men. It's Chris Silva for South Carolina is really going to have to stay out of foul trouble and clean up on the glass if they want to have a chance to win. They need second-chance points. They need to limit Kentucky's shooting and close out on shooters, which they do well. P.J. Dozier on the outside is going to have to start distributing the ball a little better than he has. <clears throat> He's been uh, struggling with turnovers lately. And if if he can, if they can get a couple guys to score along with Thornwell, I think they'll be all right. I still see Kentucky winning this game, but I I definitely think it's going to be a close one. I don't think uh, Kentucky has or will play a team as defensively or as tough on the defensive end in the SEC as they will South Carolina. And this is, I mean, if you can't, if Frank Martin can't get his team up for this game, this team will not get excited about anything. You know, they're coming off a win at home against Florida where they held them to 53 points. That's a, I mean, another top 20 team. And you're going into the biggest game of the season for you. It, it decides if you're going to win the conference or not, because I think you win that one, you're beyond confident at that point. And I don't see them losing another game, barring another suspension or injury. Yeah, here's a stat I just found out two seconds ago. South Carolina actually does have the best defense in the entire country, giving up um, 0.85 points per possession adjusted for opponent. And, I mean, that's obviously the type of defense you need to play to have a shot at beating Kentucky on the road, assuming your offense is not UCLA-esque. And it's not. They're right in the middle of the country, which is not good at all for a top 25 team. They're basically the reverse UCLA or the reverse Notre Dame. Um, and Kentucky, on the other end, has kind of alternated between blowing out much, much worse SEC teams and honestly just kind of looking bored at times because they're just so much more talented than all but maybe two teams in the SEC, um, say Florida and this team, South Carolina, could possibly have a chance to to beat Kentucky when Kentucky's actually kind of playing well. And it's going to take, like you said, a sterling defensive effort to be able to do that on the road. There's no doubt that they're going to be fired up. And Kentucky, this could go one of two ways, really. I mean, they could get excited because they're actually playing a good opponent, or they could just continue the same lethargy that we've seen throughout SEC play so far. Um, but I would expect an extremely physical game. Uh, you know, the, the bigs of Kentucky do not shy away from contact at all out of bio and Humphreys right. and, you know, South Carolina is the same way. So yeah, this will be a, this will be a sneaky fun one to watch. Yeah, and I think the X factor for the whole game is Isaiah Briscoe. 
if he plays well and or controls the game at point guard, this will be an easy win for Kentucky. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think if he plays to his potential and is kind of running that offense and that's going to generate a good amount of open shots from Malik Monk and we've yep. seen what he can do if you give him any sort of space. Exactly. And it, you never, you honestly never know what you're going to get from De'Aaron Fox. So it's, it's really up to Briscoe to kind of facilitate Monk. And with that, you take more pressure off Fox and give him time and space to make plays. So obviously, you know, point guard, we've said it, I don't know, five times already in this show, but point guard is key in college basketball, especially when you're playing, you know, good defensive teams. So Briscoe is the X factor in this one. Yeah, and also who can establish tempo because Kentucky yeah. wants to play in the 80s. South Carolina wants to play in the 50s, 60s. So whoever wins that will have a great advantage towards winning this game. Yeah, and I expect to see South Carolina come out in a press, more of a three-quarter court Villanova-esque press or a uh, you know three-quarter court man where they're just trying to slow down the game like you said. And if you know, Kentucky, If I mean, if for whatever reason they decide to come out in a zone press and Kentucky can break it quickly, yeah, I think it could be a long day for the Cox. Yeah, that'll be, uh, be one to look out for on Saturday. So there, those three games feature two ranked opponents. Are there any other ones you wanted to talk about? Uh, I mean, there are some intriguing games like Miami going to Duke, I think is uh, is a very interesting one. I think that uh, Minnesota Wisconsin could be a good game. Texas, like you said, Texas Kansas, Texas looking for the uh, football revenge <laughs> could be yeah. something what to watch. A, I doubt it. That is. Yep. Um, but yeah, that I think uh, Miami Duke and then. Minnesota Wisconsin would be the only other two notable games that I'd mention. And that's kind of a a must win at this point for for Minnesota. Um this again, they they got into the, the top twenty five very briefly, then then dropped two in a row, so they're a game and a half behind Wisconsin and they're at home. Wisconsin's not gonna play too many games where they're not going to be the overwhelming favorite. I'd say this is one of them. So everybody in the big time is pretty much going to be pulling from Minnesota. Yeah, this is this is as good a chance as any for Wisconsin to drop another early one. So uh, a lot of Big Ten title implications on the line in that. Yep. All right. I, I, think, I think we covered it all. As always, check out the blog, Let Me Be Frank blog. You can catch... My co-host's rankings each week will have random bits of college basketball up. There was a great blog last night, literally two hours before West Virginia lost to Oklahoma, about how Texas or Kansas had pretty much sealed up another Big 12 title again, written by Jeff Agar, if you want to check it out. Let me be frankblog.com. But any final words? Uh, no, I mean, it's now it's here. It's all basketball now. That's what it's all about. Uh, We'll see you next week.